Welcome to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. My name is Anand Upadhyay, and thanks for joining us. Today's conversation is with Monet Fauntleroy, the Director of Legal Service Delivery at Cooley. She's been on several sides of the legal technology ecosystem, starting out as a prosecutor, moving to a legal solutions provider, and finally to a large firm. At Cooley, Monet manages a team of innovators, evaluates new technology, and solves technological problems for the hundreds of attorneys at the firm. Monet talks about the challenges of evangelizing from within a large law firm, what we have to learn from junior attorneys fresh out of school, and of course, how her firm has rapidly adapted to working remotely in light of the coronavirus pandemic. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Monet, thank you so much for joining us on the Modern Lawyer Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, and I, I really hope that you and yours are doing well right now. And we're going to get to to why you said uh, you hope that you and yours are doing well. Um, we're going to address the uh, the elephant in the room here as we're recording this in in mid to to late March of 2020. But I want to start with just um, having you t- introduce yourself and telling our audience um, what what your current role is and your background. Absolutely. I am the director of legal service delivery at Cooley. We're a large law firm in the United States based out of San Francisco. I'm based uh, typically in the New York office here. Uh, my background is actually in broadcasting. I <laughs> started out uh, with a an eye towards being in television news, uh, but quickly shifted to what many people do, um, wondering what law school would be like. After that, did some time as a prosecutor. And I'll say if that job paid better, uh, <laughs> a little bit better hours, I would I'd probably call it one of the greatest legal jobs out there. There is. It's certainly it's interesting. Uh, every day was completely different. It was as if you were watching what others have to see on TV, but in front of you in real life, and you're part of making a very um, palpable difference in in someone's life every single day. And you, you really get a, a sense of what the legal system means for for you and I as members of society. Um, after that, moved to New York, and during a time when looking for a job as a lawyer was probably one of the more um, crazy things to be doing during the economic downturn, and somehow fell into uh, e-discovery. I think at the time, with all the investigations uh, from financial institutions uh, and the various attorneys general in the country, uh, there were so many opportunities for someone with a legal background to dip their toe in the legal technology pool. I don't think we were using the term legal tech at the time, and I'm talking around 07, 08, but certainly that's what it was, you know, using um, machine learning back then to help uh, both legal departments and law firms go through an insane amount of uh, email and um, documents to sort of understand where um, their positions fell in the in the um, various disputes and investigations. And so it was a really unique opportunity both to understand um, how these technologies were developed, how the platforms were developed, how to interact with um, the various stakeholders that use the technology. And I was lucky enough in that in that time to be working with a lot of who are now our peer firms um, at Cooley. 
I moved into a role at Practical Law, which is now a part of Thomson Reuters, but at the time was employee number 70, I think, at uh, this really cool legal public startup in the U.S. And a lot of really interesting people who are now in the legal tech space were either you know, founders of that, of that um, company or, or alums of that company. So I felt really lucky, again, to fall into that space at that time. And from, from that role, got to meet and work with a lot of the knowledge management folks in large law firms, um, helping them deploy our solution, uh, integrate our solution with their own portals and intranets and learned a lot about how those processes worked and who in the knowledge management teams in various law firms did what and how they interacted with the professional support lawyers if those existed or with the, the research teams within the firm. And for some reason decided I wanted to be on, on that side of the table and, and moved to um, working within a law firm in both knowledge management and innovation roles. I mean, what what made you want to shift over to to the you know kind of the other side of the house to you know get into the knowledge management and innovation role? I mean, obviously, you, you know, uh, being at Practical Law, working in e-discovery at really the you know the, the early stages, as you mentioned, uh, of e-discovery, and you're you're spot on. I mean, I don't think anyone called it legal tech back then. I don't know what they called it, I guess. But what made you want to head uh, over to the knowledge management side of things? What what int- intrigued you about that challenge? The, the knowledge management side of things, um, particularly in a law firm, was really attractive to me because it's, frankly, way harder. I'll say having worked on, on the legal technology provider side, it is, you know, it's a, it's a really, it's a fascinating world to be in where you're the one creating the solutions and doing the R&D and, and coming up with the new ideas. It is much, much harder to be on this side of the table where you are trying to make those ideas a reality um, and you are living and breathing amongst the people that um, need to be sort of brought to the table and and, um, helping to make them interested in both the the process and the value around um, the new technology. So I think it's, you know, as you mentioned, just the challenge of it all, because you're not in this bubble of everyone who believes in it. You're sort of one of the people who believes in it and you're trying to bring your peers and your your colleagues um, into that same belief. You sound like of an evangelist for for, for knowledge management. <laughs> Is that a fair term? Um, yeah, I mean that's that's what we do. That's we. I, I tell my team that's what what our what our jobs are. We are we are the evangelists for um, the wide array of of legal technology that, that are out there to to help our lawyers and their teams, um, and for the for the services that we offer to make those those um, use cases a reality. And so you do have to have a bit, I guess, of, of um, belief and, and sort of come from a position of belief and trying to, to understand what can help make other people believe as well. So what are the major initiatives at Cooley that you are working on at this point? I, mean, I think a lot of people uh, generally understand what evangelizing technology within a firm um, can mean. It's certainly its difficulties, right? Especially in a industry as traditional as law. And but I, I'm sure a lot of people are very curious as to what the day to day looks like. I mean, what does the flow of your job uh, look like at a firm as prominent, as large, uh, as well resourced as as Cooley? Um. It's really interesting, and I'm lucky to be in, and as you said, a, a well-resourced um, organization because my day-to-day is 
is much more focused on, again, that sort of belief factor. We are lucky to have a, a team that's dedicated solely to sourcing the solutions, piloting them, deploying them, and supporting them. Um, with whom my team can work in parallel to say, right, we understand what those solutions do. We understand what are sort of the marketed and targeted use cases for those solutions. But um, given our, our own set of experiences and background, we can see how that thing might be more of a Swiss army knife than even the provider expected and, and survey what the needs are in the firm and look for ways to extend the use cases of some of these solutions and of course, just make sure the message gets out there. I think there is this assumption that if something's great and you tell people about it, they should obviously want it. And, you know, the whole field of marketing will tell you otherwise. <laughs> and so um, it's sort of having that, that marketing and customer success focus within the organization to say, we know what the product offerings are, whether they're things that we've built internally or things that we've purchased, but there needs to be a reason for this single practice group or this office or this team that works for this client um, for the value proposition for that product to resonate with them. And our job is to understand what that is and help them understand the value proposition for them or to understand that this is not the right tool for them and, and not to um, sort of bring that noise to their table and rather bring them the signal about products or solutions that are really meaningful to what they're trying to do. Where does the process start for you and your team typically? Is it that you got, uh, you know, through, through practice, through knowledge, through experience, a full idea or a, a very broad idea of all of the needs and all of the pain points and the problems within the firm? And then you essentially kind of grab a shopping cart and go out there in the, in the wide world looking for companies, solutions, et cetera, to those problems? Or is it, you know, more uh, close to the opposite, which is you, uh, you know, you and your role is to stay abreast of everything going on outside and understand when a certain solution that may be marketed in way one can actually be brought on and be used at the firm in way number two or uh, in a Swiss army knife fashion. I mean, where does the process start for you and your team at Cooley? So it's a little bit of both of the, the workflows that you've described, but I think one of the places that we start is um, in a very personal engagement with the practices and then sort of a more, I guess, commercial view to what we're trying to do as a firm. So in the personal engagement, you know, for those practices where we do have a, a professional support lawyer or a resource attorney in the United States that operates much like a professional support lawyer, uh, understanding from them when you have new associates starting in your group, what are the struggles? Um, what is it that they themselves as people who haven't practiced for a million years are taught to do and then they kind of react in a way that says, does it really need to be that hard? Does it really need to be that way? Um, what are you hearing from the laterals that are joining the firm? Uh, what, what gaps are they talking about? Or in the alternative, what is really resonating with them and, and what of that can we do more of? And then from the commercial perspective, obviously, sort of understanding how each practice wants to grow and looking to see what technologies will help us either understand that, that area better or make people more efficient or more effective in growing that particular kind of work. Um, and then there are more 
proactive uh, outreaches that are based on our understanding of the market. So while we are very, 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 very focused on not being people with hammers looking for nails, there are times when you, you didn't even know that you didn't feel the nail until someone said, hey, there's this hammer. So you, you, we all sort of accept certain things to be the reality until there's another perspective that tells you that doesn't have to be the reality. And sometimes that perspective comes from a really innovative solution provider that sort of gives you that eureka moment that says, wait a minute, I didn't even realize that this shouldn't have been this hard. Um, and that's, that's the time when sometimes the conversation it does begin with the tool. But what we're really focused on is understanding what problems people have. And, and that oftentimes isn't even a conversation focused around the word problem or issue. It can just be a conversation that says, tell me how you do this or tell me what your, your goals are as far as growing this particular practice or growing this type of work. And what does the work that you do to get there look like? And, and just listening to that work while still having you know, a legal background and understanding, listening to someone tell you how they do something as an outsider sometimes gives you those questions that, that say, wait, did, really, is that who does that? Or is that really how many times you have to do it that way? And that's where we start sort of saying, you know, for what it's worth, that sounds like a problem. You don't necessarily have to do it that way. Um, and many, again, many of those conversations don't ever mention the tool. We, we come back with something that involves the tool or the product or the solution at a, at a later time. You know, one of the things that you just said kind of stuck with me, and that is, um, you know, allowing junior attorneys, maybe attorneys fresh out of law school, who I think a lot of people would say, hey, you know, uh, um, you know, why don't you just uh, not talk and just pay attention and taking these mm-hmm. folks and putting them in front of technology and letting them manipulate it and use it and waiting for, for them to look up and say, well, wait a second, why does it need to be that hard? I think so often as, as attorneys, uh, you, we, we just don't know that there is an easier way to do something. And then 10 years later, you don't even think about whether there's an easier way to do something. I think the new blood yeah. can certainly help with that. Have you seen that at Cooley? Have you seen um, some, some kind of fresh areas, fresh perspectives, fresh thoughts coming from the brand new attorneys right out of school who may still be in their you know, early 20s, mid 20s? I have. It's, it's, what's interesting is that at Cooley as a culture, though, has that at all levels of experience. And I, I find that to be pretty um, exciting. And, and I, I want to think it's unique, but hopefully, you know, it's happening at other firms as well. A lot of it has to do with our client base, which is very broad and also um, is the source of a lot of amazing technologies in the world. And that tends to permeate our culture and vice versa. And so we have you know, partners who've been there for quite a long time coming up with as many interesting new ways of doing something as we do someone who's brand new. But I think that as, to your point, when people join um, early on, they, and this is not to you know, go back on the sort of trite um, discussions about the differences between generations, but even when someone of any uh, generation joins a new organization, they come in with some belief about how things should be done um, for better or worse. And when they are, are taught the, the way that we do it here, uh, the, the questions that they ask just to understand that new methodology are really indicative to us uh, about what we're teaching or what we're 
what we're encouraging people to do that may not be the best way. You know, if, if they may not even be criticizing the thing. I think that's what's really interesting. They may not be saying this technology is awful or this is this is kludgy. They might just have so many questions about something that we thought was obvious. And those that volume of questions is what tells us, wait, this isn't as great as we thought it was. Um, it isn't as plug and play. Or maybe we just don't need to do this because, you know, they we taught them how to use this technology and notice that they never logged in. But that that process still needed to happen. So they're finding some other workaround. Um, like there's a there's yeah. a secret spreadsheet somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, and yeah, so I think it's it's a mixture of certainly people who have never worked in a law firm before giving us their perspective on what it's like to do the things we're teaching them to do, as well as people who've just not been in this organization before asking the normal questions that someone would ask in their onboarding or their training. But if you're listening, you are hearing um, some feedback that, that they may not be explicitly providing, but that is really helpful to understanding how good that tool may or may not be. Monet, I want to uh, switch now to uh, the the elephant in the room here. Um, it, it is March twentieth to to date this recording. I am sitting in San Francisco. You are sitting in New York City, and obviously, we are in the middle of a very large pandemic, the COVID nineteen pandemic. And as a result of that, I mean, obviously, there's uh, there's so much to talk about on this from a public health um, and medical standpoint, on an economic standpoint, on a you know public policy standpoint. You know, obviously, this is a podcast about rapid change in the legal industry and the rapid change in the legal industry that we've seen in the last one to 10 days, right? I mean, talk about rapid mm-hmm. has been the fact that yeah. everyone is working from home now. And mm-hmm. um, you, one of the, uh, one of the, the, you know, collateral effects of working from home is you are engaging in technology maybe that you haven't used much before. Um, how how uh, how is that reality impacted you and your team at Cooley? And what steps are you taking to make sure that the the same amount of work can be done in a totally different and now completely unpredictable environment? Yeah, so I think, you know, as you mentioned, it's a um, a new paradigm and it's changing minute by minute, hour by hour. And so the ability to support people who, as you alluded to, have brand new um, technology needs, but also are doing, I, I would say, in many cases, even more work. You know, the, I think our clients certainly are, are struggling and, and, and coping with um, this issue from a commercial perspective in ways that they they really didn't imagine. And so their, their legal needs have shifted and probably grown in ways that are, um, you know, very, very felt, felt very heavily by our lawyers, but um, recognizing the, just the you know, to be frank, the human reality around what's going on, right? And so we have these people working in new locations um, and with the recent, uh, changes in restrictions as far as moving about our, our communities. There are more people in the home. They don't have the same sort of quiet um, office that they're used to working in, and they might have another person working in the home with them as well. Uh, and so there's these in, the anxiety that comes with what's going on and the very real fears about um, health and the economy in their own family are very present, right? And so you we have to both um, 
be aware of and support people from that perspective, but then understand that they, they want to do a job and they want to do a job well in the same way that they did before we were aware of the, the depth of this pandemic. And so our job is to be as responsive as possible to the many ways that individuals think could be helpful to them. There, I think, is this this um, potential for someone to sort of, you know, from the top down say, this is the new way you're going to collaborate with each other. And this, this technology is going to make it easier for all of you to speak to one another. And we're lucky enough to, to have a lot of options at Cooley. And so what we're doing right now is just sort of listening to people who say, hi, can I have a group chat set up? Or uh, we'd like to hop into Teams and be able to do this in Microsoft Teams and really understanding what works for that group and sort of fast tracking them into um, a configuration that that works for them. Because, you know, up until recently, not even every office was sort of in the same remote work um, restriction. And so it's, I think it's incumbent upon us to be flexible and empathetic. And that has always sort of been the mantra for my team. I think, you know, I've, I've been interviewing people for the group and, and and coaching people in our groups and even outside I've I've really started to feel bad about this idea that people think lawyers don't want to change or that lawyers take technology. What what lawyers and most people want to do is do their job really well. And if you can help them understand that this is something that can help them do well, they'll be on board. But they're, you know, they don't want to do anything that gets in the way of doing the best job they can for their clients. And that's their, our same focus even now, which is they, they really want to do a good job. And we need to be aware of how much change be part of the process of helping them do a good job and how much of that can get in the way of other shifts and change they need to make in their life right now. That, that makes sense. Um, you know, what, what lessons have you learned from uh, the last few days as far as the adoption of technology? And maybe what teaching moments uh, have you recognized for other members of your team, you know, ways for you to teach more junior members of your team, you know, look, this is a real time demonstration in how we could evangelize technology, whether it's it's something as mainstream as Microsoft Teams or, or you know, other types of technology. And, you know, maybe maybe a takeaway that really drives home the fact that, uh, as you said, and I fully believe and fully agree with what you said, attorneys just want to do good work for their client. And if you show them the way. Um, they will they will follow. Um, have you mm-hmm. uh, you know have you gained any insights just from the last I don't know uh, seventy two hours or something right that that really firms that up or that maybe has, has thrown you a curveball on how attorneys and others at, at, at the firm adopt or don't adopt technology. Yeah, I think the the thing that we've learned and I think we've you know, believed and suspected but are are seeing evidence of now is that. Um, our practice teams are much more flexible than we ever imagined, right? So while we often speak in terms of lawyers and technologies, those teams are far broader and they include case assistance and the, and the legal assistance and other support that helps bring that, that engine along. And many of those folks did not work remotely in the same way that lawyers have, right? And so for that entire team to sort of move to a remote situation and do so successfully having to learn how to do even the most sort of quotidian things differently, connecting to the internet, but having to do so with a, with a VPN or, um, 
you know, may not having the, the hardware that they're used to. It, it just seeing the flexibility that people have been able to to either tap into or demonstrate has been one of those things that I think proves what we've been trying to say, that people do want to do a good job for their clients, all members of the practice team, and they, they won't resist a technology that helps them do so. And in the past few days have really, um, really shown us that. And I think the, the other thing that we've known, but again, have had in front of us as evidence is the importance of empathy and making sure that you know, our communications, whether they're in writing or um, on the phone with other people during this time, need to always include some some moment of just recognizing what that person may or may not be going through. It's not business as usual, and we're not going to pretend um, it is when we're talking to someone who might be going through something um, pretty impactful as a result of this this pandemic. And so, um, we, as a culture at firm, we have been that way, but I think this is one of those um, moments that having built that muscle has really proven to be important where we, we understand there's a job to do. We understand that we're a business and we have clients to serve, but we are also in service to one another and um, keeping that in mind as we, we communicate with each other in these new ways is really key. I love that last point on empathy and understanding where your colleagues are, especially when you can't see them face to face. I want to speak to the the first part of what you said as well, though, and that is, uh, and if I could if I could kind of interpret what you said, this moment here in history uh, where everyone is is isolating at home is something of a stress test for law firms, KM, and and technology and innovation. Uh, initiatives and agendas and infrastructures, right? If if a um, if a firm has done an extremely good job with it, it could be a pretty seamless process. You can, and by you in this case, I mean a, a you know timekeeper, an attorney, a, a case assistant, a paralegal mm-hmm. can do a, a nearly all of the things, right? Maybe in a more chaotic environment at home than in a nice quiet office, but can do a lot of the things, if not all of the things that he or she could have done in that office, just dialing in. Whereas on the other side, a law firm that has invested much less in their KM and innovation teams uh, really doesn't have streamlined systems and lawyers are going to be in some trouble uh, when they don't have uh, all of the in-office apparatuses, am I getting that right? Am I overstating that? No, I think that it's it's really clear that um, you know for for people to sort of demonstrate the flexibility I was referring to, they have to have sort of the tools in place to flex to. Um, and I think we've done a good job of of having those things ready there for people when they need them. Uh, and to your point, when there are resources in a firm dedicated to this kind of effort, we can expand them in situations such as now where they need to be expanded, um, but also be responsive when when situations like this prompt people to have really good ideas. I'll say that we've had um, both from the team itself or from our lawyers, some, some really great uh, new ideas come up to help people do something in a way that was different or better or to address um, newly newly prioritized client needs. And if there's a good set of resources that those lawyers or timekeepers uh, with those ideas know they can turn to to bring them to fruition, they're more likely to keep coming to us with those ideas. So this doesn't necessarily have to be a time where people are sort of making do. Um, They understand that as they are 
navigating the new way of doing things if they can think of some other benefit to flexing something or, or stretching something in another direction there is a, a team there that can help them do so do you think this um you know for, look for the near term we're going to be working from home uh, things are going to be remote uh, do you think in some ways that 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 is good news with respect to a uh, a cam and innovation team obviously there's um you know, bad news all around us. But as far as uh, a firm getting really good at, uh, you know, technologically, as far as infrastructure and as far as culture in working from home, could this be the kind of, uh, you know, emergency that uh, American law firms, especially big law firms have needed to uh, invest in and allow uh, a remote work? I, I would say that it's certainly one of those situations that proves out that that investment um, is is worthy, and it, and it proves out the the return on that investment. I'd, I'd I'd hate to say that any emergency is is necessary, but I, I think it is one of those those shifts that helps people see why um, the knowledge sharing that's been so. Um, advocated by KM and innovation teams has a reason and why these collaborative platforms really can come in in a pinch because you you now don't have um, either the, you know, those, those physical sort of uh, quote collisions with others in the office or in your path that can cover some of the lack of automated knowledge sharing or automated um, collaboration platforms. And this is really a time where you could see where, where that investment can prove out. But it also is a time for professionals in this space to really do the thing that they, that they and by they, I mean me and my team and I love to do, which is we really help our, our timekeepers do what they want to do, which is serve their clients well. And so um, it, it's unfortunate that you know, this is the... Um, this is a situation we're in where we happen to be the the um, stewards of the kinds of tools that are really necessary, but we feel very fortunate to be able to to help our colleagues do what they need to do because we've we've taken the time to build our teams and to understand these technologies so well. Clearly, there's going to be some initiatives that are put on hold because of uh, of this emergency. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, clearly, you and your team are going to have to be nimble in determining what to do. Uh, but in your eyes, from 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 where you're sitting, what are the initiatives that are so important, that are so um, you know critical to the future of the firm, that uh, you are excited to execute on them, regardless of whether you're executing on them from home or from the office? What's what's coming up next for Cooley? I think the big ones are, are um, solutions that enhance collaboration. And while there might be a few that we already have deployed, there might be some few, might be a few that are launching. And, and recognizing that the term collaboration is really, really broad, I think we are understanding now that you know pe- people's time is actually somewhat much more crunched now because they're you know they're the effort to do something um, the way they always have is a bit raised as their their um, the learning curve of doing it a new way is a bit steep. We we recognize that people really are in this space need to just know what's going on. 
sort of that Seinfeld, like, what's the deal with? And so if, if we can help provide our teams a way of just understanding the status of a task or a project or something in the long term, but there are you know, a lot of distributed resources on that particular piece um, quickly and with some certainty where they don't need to be chasing that, um, that is going to be very core both both now and in the in the in the long term so there are various solutions that are possible for us to um, both launch and enhance that help people do that I think that's really important to us and obviously just helping people find the information they need um, whether that's work product or um, outside research around a particular topic and and being able to get that really quickly that's that's very very key for us so um, those platforms that we have internally that point people to very sort of rich data sets around their their clients or the space in which their clients operate. Enhancing those right now is really, really key because that, that client's landscape is changing day by day. And we need to give our lawyers as much information as they need um, to follow that, that progression. I'm sure a lot of attorneys, including Cooley attorneys, are asking the question, what's the deal with force majeure and what's the deal with acts of God? <laughs> At this point, yeah. Even, um, yes, yeah, and so obviously, um, leveraging our, our AI-powered sort of agreement um, and contract analysis tools to help people get through um, those documents and answer those questions is is very key for us as well. I, I love that. Um, I, I love that framing in the in this in the Seinfeldian way. That's that's really interesting. <laughs> it's so, New York. Yeah, no, I love that. Uh, so, Monet, I, I want to uh, tackle a, a issue that's a really big issue that we've talked about at length on this podcast, and that is diversity in legal and, of course, diversity in knowledge management. I know our very first guest on this podcast, Gino Grady, took that topic on head on. We've had on the former president of uh, you know the, the UK Bar Association, Christina Blacklaws, who, who talked extensively about gender diversity in law in the United Kingdom. Uh, what is your take on where we are in this moment in diversity in knowledge management and innovation and tech, especially in big law firms? And what do you think we can do to increase that diversity? I think, you know, we are, we are, um, I, th- I think we're trying. And I think that's, and by we, I mean, across all of big law, everyone has very, very good intentions. And there are aspects to diversity on the you know, business professional side that are um, not quite as uh, talked about because clients are perhaps aren't serving for that. That, that. The lawyer metric is obviously something front and center, but right. um, on a firm-wide basis, it may not have the same visibility. I think what is really key is the frank discussion about why it's valuable, whether it's gender diversity, uh, racial diversity, and socioeconomic diversity um, is why that is really key. And I think as our lawyer populations diversify, um, the the counterparts on our side who who serve them and, and work in tandem with them to make them um, do the best they can do for their clients, you know, the, the faces need to be the same. The language needs to be the same. We need everyone wants to relate to someone that can understand where they're coming from. And the there are 
programmatic ways to approach that. Certainly, I'm on the, the staff diversity committee here at, um, at Cooley and are looking at sort of strategic and programmatic ways to do it. But I think there's obviously a grassroots approach to it that we all could be doing a better job at, which is uh, vocalizing the importance of it, you know, calling out those situations where perhaps when we are talking about a culture fit, what are we really saying, you know, what does that mean? And how could that be both interpreted in a positive way and how could that be interpreted in a negative way that brings you know, people that just look like you or act like you into the organization and, and questioning whether or not that's a, a good idea. Calling it out when you see a lack of diversity at a conference or on a panel or in a networking organization. Um, and it's not meant to be confrontational. It's just really meant to say, hi, you know, I, I'm here but I don't see anyone else like me here and I would love to. Um, and I'm sure you would feel the same in my shoes. So let's, let's do something to change that. Um, and really making it clear how that's important uh, as opposed to um, why it's a box we should tick. And I'm lucky to be in a place where that is not the feeling, but certainly it's, it's not universal. And I know it's, it's a difficult thing for people to challenge and change. Um, and I hate to make it the the sole responsibility of the diverse person in the group. <laughs> so I, I certainly encourage um, those non-diverse individuals who are listening to really think about um, why it's important to both see people who do and don't look like you across the table and, and the more rich and interesting conversations and uh, innovations that come out of that that type of interaction. And as someone who has been to a conference uh, where you were a presenter, where you did call out exactly this, I could I could tell our audience that as someone who does put her money where her mouth is, uh, and I think that's exactly the kind of um, light shed on this issue that is really helpful. Um, first, calling it out is, is very helpful, and I you know certainly applaud you for doing that. Um, Money, I want you at this point to um, you know take out your your crystal ball, as I oftentimes use here as a metaphor on the Modern Lawyer podcast, and um, maybe even, you know, separating out uh, our current moment, you know, our pandemic that has thrown um, a lot of what we know to, you know, out the window. But, you know, maybe in light of that, but I'll permit you to, <laughs> to, to respond maybe as of a week or two ago, what are the main <laughs> that you see coming up uh, in innovation, in technology, in maybe even cultural shifts in uh, the practice of law in the United States in the next, you know, you call it 15 years, 20 years. Uh, one of the major things that we're going to see, uh, one of the ways you can answer that question, of course, is, you know, as someone who is on the relatively young end, as far as um, senior knowledge management folks at big law firms, what are you going to be driving for? I mean, in 20 years, if you, when you look back on your career, what are you going to be really proud of, uh, of delivering and of pushing? I thank you for that assumption. I'm on the young end. I'll take it. Um, but in, I think what I hope to see and what, what we're working toward is, um, and whether the team is called the innovation team or the knowledge team, this reflex on the practice side to loop in a group like ours 
really early on and understand that the the expertise that we bring to the table, the solutions we bring to the table are as crucial to um, the life of the practice and the service to clients as business development professionals are or other professionals in the firm. And we are seeing that more and more. But I would, I, my, my dream, I guess, as it were, is that uh, when, when someone either um, signs a new client or moves into a, a new type of work for a client, one of the first calls they make is to a group like ours. And we talk about what our um, challenges are and what our opportunities are and how we can help to move them forward. Could it start even one step earlier? Uh, one of the, the folks I had on, on this podcast is Evan Schenkman, who is a senior director of CAM at Fisher & Phillips. And one of the things that I'm most impressed about, most fascinated with uh, that he introduced to me was the fact that uh, he and his counterparts at other firms, maybe even at Cooley, have now really made it a practice of going out uh, on client pitches, assisting with the RFP yeah. response. Um, uh, what's your take on that? And and um, you know, could could KM and innovation be part of the entire entire life cycle uh, even before the client signed? Absolutely. I mean, I, I've I've been in similar situations, and um, that is that is certainly uh, an example of the breadth and depth of those sort of things that these these groups have to offer to the firm. And I certainly don't want to say that that's any less important than the work that um, you do post-engagement. Um, but I, for me, I think I would like to really believe that we would become as important as setting up a matter file or um, even signing the engagement letter. It's just one of those things where not only do we come to them and say, here's sort of the form or templated um, type of assistance that we have to offer to you now that you are doing this work for this client, but having that engagement be the point where we together come up with something really interesting and forward thinking for that client uh, and for that team's work with that client. I think because we are so flexible and because we have um, flexible technologies that, you know, we're lucky to get from all kinds of providers, um, the ability to do something bespoke is there. And, and I think that's what I'm getting at. It's the idea that we could really, you know, sort of tune the engine differently for different types of works and for different types of clients. And I really want to um, get to a point where everyone's taking advantage of that. I, I love that idea of, for example, you know, to, to exactly what you were saying and, and exactly your point, um, you know, having a RFP response feature technology alongside uh, the human capital that's going to be allocated, right? I mean, every RFP wants to know, yeah. you know, uh, you know provisionally at least, what is the group that's going to be working on this, right? And it could be the extended mm -hmm. group, right? But to your point, right, and I, and I really appreciate you bringing this up, um, why not create a bespoke um, you know, arsenal of tools within Cooley that can be allocated to that, right? So the, the work that we're bidding for is going to have the following you know, 8 or 10 or 12 um, you know, divisible units, and we intend to use these technologies at these times to ensure high quality and high efficiency. I think that's brilliant. Thanks. I, I think it's really, you know, it's a testament to 
the the burgeoning um, both insight and outlook from from people in these teams and these roles, which is, you know, we're not here just to sort of um, templatize and mechanize everything so that someone can come in and sort of have their own little factory way of doing things. Um, I think that was certainly a new way of thinking a long time ago and a very innovative thing to bring into the world. But what we're looking to do now is say we can take all that and customize it and tune it to what your client needs are. And, and that's what we we want to move toward. Monet, I can uh, speak to you about this uh, for for much much longer, but I know you are a you are a busy person, and you've got a lot to work on right now, especially in light of the times that we're living in. So, thank you so much for joining me on the Modern Lawyer Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on, and you know, I think it, you provided us so many interesting ideas, and frankly, things that I've never thought of before on this podcast. I hope our audience uh, thinks the same. So, thanks again, Monet. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. We always love hearing from you and we highly value your feedback. Reach out to me at onin at casetext.com, tweet at us with the hashtag Modern Lawyer, and check us out at modernlawyerpodcast.com. We hope you join us for our next episode. Special thanks to the Case Text team, especially our producer extraordinaire, Abby Hadidian. See you soon.